scripture reading this afternoon is from the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22 on page 1233 in your pew Bibles, where we'll read beginning at verse 1 of chapter 21 through verse 5 of chapter 22, and we'll read that in connection with Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism on the comfort of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. But I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, 
the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They'll bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb to the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit for each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And you can turn to page 881 in the back of your hymnals where we'll read responsively questions 57 and 58 of our catechism, which speak of how this good news of which we have just read is a comfort to us. Lord's Day 22. I'll read those two questions. First, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And second, How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. We've witnessed two baptisms today, and I heard this morning from Genesis chapter 17 about the covenant promise that baptism signifies that God will be our God, and we will be his people. That covenant refrain, I will be your God and you will be my people, runs like a thread throughout all of Scripture. 
Beginning at Genesis all the way to right here in Revelation at the very end of the Bible where all of the blessedness that we just read of, where everything will be made new, is summarized in that covenant refrain of 21 verse 3, they will be his people and he will be with them as their God. That's the same covenant promise that we heard this morning in Genesis 17, or that we, we heard several times just a few minutes ago in the baptism form. And so as we think this afternoon about the gospel promises that were just signified in the baptism of little Adeline, this ultimately is what all of those promises amount to, God being with his people in the blessedness of the new creation forever. That's what's promised to us in the gospel, and that's what was just signified in Adeline's baptism. That's what I want to do this afternoon is is, um, look ahead to the the final fulfillment of God's covenant promise and think especially about question 58 where it says, after this life we will have perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart has ever imagined. I want to think about four aspects of that blessedness as we see it revealed to us here in Revelation, Uh, four aspects of the perfect blessedness of the new heavens and new earth that are promised to us in the gospel and signified to us in baptism, this uh, perfect blessedness that our catechism speaks of is, uh, first of all, a blessedness where all things will be made new. That's the language of verse 5. It says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So that's the, the first thing that we see about this perfect blessedness. It will be a blessedness in which all things will be made new. It's interesting um, that, that it, it doesn't say, Behold, I am making all new things. It says, I'm making all things new. It's it's suggesting to us that there is continuity between the old order and the new, where the old will be restored. It's even suggested by the word that John uses for new. There are two Greek words that John could have used to speak of newness. Um, One has the idea of something that is entirely new and replaces the old. The other has the idea of something that is qualitatively new. It's, it's new in quality. And it's that word that John uses to describe the new heavens and new earth. He's, he's not speaking of a complete break from the present order, but of a renewed earth. Where these things that have been marred by the fall will be made the way that they were supposed to be. And so this implies the physical nature of the age to come. We sometimes think of of our eternal hope as as something non-physical, some kind of non-bodily, ethereal existence, but what Revelation reminds us is that the new creation is a physical transformation of the old physical creation. We're in verse 6, we will have physical bodies that will drink and be satisfied, We see the same thing in chapter 22, that we will eat fruit and we will drink water. We'll have bodies, 21 verse 4, that will be freed from pain. Eyes that will shed no tears. You see the the physicality of what's being described. 
Physical dimensions of the city are given in verses 12 through 17. A great high wall with 12 gates and and 12 angels and names that are inscribed on the gates. A, A city that can be measured in height and length. Materials like gold and onyx. Jewels of every kind. It says that there will be rivers and trees and fruit. It will be like a return to Eden, only better. Where we will behold God's face, 22 verse 4, and in his name will be written on our foreheads. So everything about this is, is physical. Which means that our eternal hope is not merely that we are going to, to float in the clouds forever, but as G.K. Beale has said, the, the making of all things new refers to the inhabitants of the new creation, we ourselves being made new, as well as the physical topography in which they live. The destiny of God's people is to live with resurrected physical bodies in the newly transformed physical environment of the eternal new heavens and new earth. This is quite different from the conception of eternity that many have. It will be a time, as we confess in question 57, where our souls will be reunited with our very flesh, our very bodies that are raised by the power of Christ and made like Christ's glorious body. We'll experience physical pleasure, we'll taste delicious foods, we'll behold physical beauty, and we'll be capable of doing these things in a greater way than ever before as all things will be made new and nothing will be affected by the fall. Our bodies will be raised, the earth will be renewed and enjoyed as it was originally meant to be. In a way, as question 58 says, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. And this is just the start of the perfect blessedness of the new heavens and new earth. All things will be made new. Of course, if all things will be made new, then that also means that everything sad will be untrue. That's the second part of this perfect blessedness in Revelation 21. It will be a blessedness where everything sad will be untrue. There will be no more suffering. It's one of the very first things that John points out in, in chapter, 27, or, uh, chapter 21 and, and says in no less than nine ways in just eight verses. He tells us in verse 1 and, and verse 4 that the old order of things will have passed away, meaning everything that is ruined by the fall and corrupted by sin. It tells us at the end of verse 1 that the sea will be no more. It's a symbol of, of chaos at many places in the Old Testament, a symbol of judgment. You think of, of the Red Sea in the Exodus or the waters at the flood. In the context of the book of Revelation, the, the beast who dwells in the sea, in the book of Job, Leviathan. But John tells us the sea will be no more. That the chaotic turbulence of the world as we know it and of this present evil order will will be done away with completely. That that death and chaos and, and judgment will be no more. And because of this, verse 4, every tear will be wiped away. The tears that we shed because of the evil of this world and because of sin, John says, will be wiped away completely. He was saying a few minutes ago in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears 
will reap with shouts of joy. Those who went out with tears of grief will come again with songs of joy as God restores the fortunes of his people. As he establishes them in the land, wiping away the tears that we shed and this veil of tears as Lord's Day 9 calls this life and making us to know peace. He says there will be no more death. One of the chief causes of the grief and sorrow that we know in this life, it will happen no more. There won't be any mourning or, or crying, two different ways of emphasizing the same thing he's already said. There'll be no more. Every kind of crying, mourning, tears, no more. There will be emphatically no more tears to cry. There won't be any more pain, John tells us. Uh, Boys and girls, no more scraped knees, no more hurt feelings, no more being scared of the dark, no more trips to the emergency room, no more broken bones, no more pain from from the sins of others and and the relational struggles that we may uh, have to deal with, including marriage. And one of the ways that, that John communicates for us the bliss of the age to come over against the sorrows of this life is that he says our new creation experience will be that of a pure bride being received by her perfect bridegroom in love. Some of you here know difficult marriages. Some of you have been affected by the pain of divorce. Um, Some of you know the, the pain of an unloving or unfaithful spouse. Certainly tears have been shed because of that, but John says they will be no more. As heaven's perfect bridegroom receives us to himself into that perfect marital union that every earthly marriage was meant to point to. The best marriages are are meant to point us to to, to that something better that is coming. Uh, Failed marriages reminding us there is a perfect bridegroom who will not fail us. Our our longings for marriage as, as those who are single reminding us that those longings, whether or not they'll be fulfilled in this life, will be perfectly met in that eternal marriage between Christ and his bride. You see the glory and the beauty of what John is, is telling us. The old order of things will have passed away. The sea, which symbolizes death and terror and chaos and judgment, will be no more. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying, no more hurt, no more pain from bad marriages or adultery. The pain of longing for marriage. John tells us the pain of death will be no more, as there will be no more gravesides, no more stillbirths, no more miscarriages, and in fact, the children that we've lost will be raised, as heaven's perfect bridegroom will lift us up to wipe away our tears and swallow up death forever. And all of this, all of this suffering that will be taken away is because there will be finally no more sin. So we see down in verse 8 where it says that in this city where we will be the bride of Christ and the sons of God given an inheritance as those who conquer, it says that the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and, and the sexually immoral, the sorcerers and idolaters and liars will not be there because in this city there will be no more sin. That's why there's no more death. 
That's why there's no more tears. That's why there's no more pain and and no more marital hurt, but only marital bliss. Because in this city where all things will be made new, there will be no more sin. Everything sad, everything sorrowful, everything sinful will be untrue and will be no more. And John, as he... he, uh, paints this picture for us as he casts this vision for us, wants us to long for that day in the midst of the trials of this life. He wants to lift our gaze heavenward to the glory that awaits us. In the midst of what Lord's Day 9 calls this veil of tears, he wants us to lift our gaze upward to that time as we sang in Psalm 126, our tears of grief will be turned to shouts of joy. Yeah, that's not all. The best part of, of, of the gospel promise of this eternal blessedness is not just the, um, the absence of sin and suffering, but is the positive presence of all that is good. Not just the absence of tears and pain and crying and death, but, but the positive presence of, of all that is good. And, and by that, I mean not just the, uh, the pleasures that we will enjoy in that city where all things will be made new, but the best part of John's vision of the glory of the age to come is God himself. It's the third thing we want to consider this afternoon, um, a blessedness where all things will be made new a blessedness where everything sad will be untrue, and then a blessedness where God himself will dwell with you. This, beloved, is the best part of the glory that awaits us. John speaks of it in verse 3 in that covenant refrain, that we will be with him, that he will be our God. God dwelling with his people. That's the best part of of that covenant refrain that runs throughout Scripture, the the best part of the promises of God's covenant that he makes with his people that you heard of this morning from Genesis 17. It's it's not the promise of the land. It's not the promise of, of descendants. It's not anything else but God himself and his Christ who is that blessing who would come from Abraham's line and make all of this possible. He is the bridegroom, verse 2, who receives us. This is, this is what all of Scripture was moving towards. We, we, we considered it a year or so ago. The Bible begins with a wedding. It ends with a wedding. In the middle is that song of the wedding and the song of songs. This is what all of Scripture is moving towards, God and his people being joined together. Jonathan Edwards said that the creation of the world seems to have been especially designed for this end, that the eternal Son of God might obtain for himself a spouse and dwell with her in the presence of his Father for all eternity to the glory of the triune God. God himself, Christ himself is the highest point of the perfect blessedness that this passage is painting for us. Where in our physical bodies we will see him and behold him as he is. That's um, part of the point at the end of what we read from chapter 22. It says they will see his face. Verse 4, they will see his face and his name 
will be on their foreheads. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and they will see his face. His name will be written on us as we will belong to him. And it says the Lord himself will be their light as his glory and his brightness, the same glory and brightness that we sang of from Psalm 27, which we long to behold, will emanate from him and light up the whole city. And in our new physical glorified bodies, we will have a greater capability of beholding and comprehending his beauty than we ever did before. And John makes the point that this will satisfy us completely. You see this emphasis on on satisfaction, which comes from God himself throughout this passage. We see it in 21 verse 6, where it says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 22 verse 2, we will eat from the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit and its leaves for the healing of the nations. And 22 verse 1 makes the point that this tree that is nourished by the river of the water of life, that this tree from which we'll eat, this water from, from which it is satisfied, says it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In other words, our satisfaction comes from Christ himself. He is the one from whom the river of the water of life flows. He is the one who will eternally satisfy us with his presence. He is the one who will dwell with us. That's why 22 verse 1 says, There will be no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. His presence with us is is what will make this so glorious, is that whole temple theme from throughout the Bible, beginning in the Garden of Eden as the dwelling place of God, and and, and you, you, you trace that theme through to the tabernacle and the temple and the second temple and Jesus who is the temple and his Holy Spirit coming down and making us a temple. That whole temple theme will be fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth where God himself will be with us. Christ will dwell with his people in this perfect Edenic garden temple where he will dwell with us and he himself will be our light. That which makes this heavenly city so glorious is Christ himself. The lamb who is seated on the throne, the one who was slain for our transgressions, raised up and seated on high to dwell with his bride who he purchased with his blood. He will be the glory of that heavenly city. That's why there's no more sun or no more moon, because he himself will be our light. Malachi chapter, uh, chapter 4, the, the son of righteousness, who rises with healing in his wings. And his glory will make us radiant. That's why 21 verse 2 says, we will be like a bride adorned for her husband. His beauty and His glory will radiate from us. He he will satisfy us. As we confess in question 58, we will praise Him eternally in this perfect, blessed state. The way Phil Riken um, puts this, he says, of all the glories of heaven, this will be the greatest by far, the glory of God Himself, Christ enthroned. Revelation 21 and 22 are not about a place primarily, but a person. At the center of it all will be the person of Jesus Christ, whose presence will make heaven to be heaven. 
Jesus is everywhere in these two chapters as as his presence pervades the city of the new Jerusalem and his glory suffuses the atmosphere of the new heavens and new earth. This is why they're glorious. Revelation 21 verse 2, Jesus is the husband who is waiting eagerly to see the beauty of his bride. In verse 3, he is the voice speaking from the throne and pronouncing his fulfillment of God's covenant promise to be with his people and be their God. In verse 4, he is with the Spirit, the Comforter, who wipes away our tears. In verse 5, he is with the Father, the Recreator, making all things new. In verse 6, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal, everlasting, and almighty God. He is the free and living water, 21 verse 6, who satisfies our thirsty souls. He is the Lamb, 22 verse 1, the light, 22 verse 5, the Lamb, 21, 23. He is the very life of the city. Everything that is bright and beautiful in this everlasting city of God shines with the radiant glory of Christ our Savior, who is the most beautiful one to see in this most beautiful of places that our minds and hearts cannot even imagine. This place that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. And yet... Our resurrected bodies, which will be made like Christ's glorious body, will be able to behold His glory, which will thrill our hearts for all eternity. It will satisfy us in a way that nothing in this life can. Thomas Boston said, we will see Jesus Christ, God and man, With our bodily eyes, we will behold with our bodily eyes the very body that was born of the Son of Mary, that was hung on the cross, that was pierced and spout upon, now shining with inconceivable glory. And the glory and beauty of Christ will attract the eyes of all the saints. That's what will make heaven, heaven. The covenant promise fulfilled, they will be his people and he will be with them as their God. The same promise that we just saw signified in the waters of baptism. There in the new heavens and new earth, fulfilled completely. This is the glorious gospel promise, Jim and Kate, that you were to hold out before your daughter, the promise of Christ himself and dwelling with him in that heavenly Jerusalem to which the land that God gave Abraham and promised him in Genesis 17 pointed. That promise then was always about this, the promise of of the perfect blessedness of dwelling with him in glory where she will praise God eternally as she clings to his cross and resurrection by faith, trusting in the promise that has just been signified to her in the waters of baptism. You hold that promise out before her with all that it entails. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but one day the complete eradication of sin and all its effects. When death will be swallowed up, the tears that little Adeline will cry and this veil of tears will be wiped away and her and our eternal bridegroom will receive us to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. That is our blessed hope. What an amazing hope we have. I want to point out, though, was one more aspect of it somewhat briefly. Notice at the end of question 58, When it it says in this perfect blessedness, we will praise God 
eternally. It's the same way that our passage ends in Revelation 22. We ended at verse 5, where it says, And night there will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The glorious vision of the new heavens and new earth ends in the same place where our, our confession ends. What makes this perfect blessedness so perfect is not only that it is a blessedness where all things will be made new, our bodies will be raised, it's not only that, that everything sad will be untrue and every tear will be wiped from our eyes, it's, it's not only that God will dwell with us, but also that this blessedness lasts forever and ever. That's as if John was not satisfied just in telling us it will last forever, but he adds, and ever. So that we might understand that when everything we have just considered first happens, it will have only just begun. The promise of the gospel, that the promise held out to little Adeline to be received by the hand of faith and held out to each and every one of us gathered here today who confess by faith that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins and we love him. That promise is this eternal blessedness of dwelling in the presence of God as the beloved bride of Christ collectively with no more suffering, no more sin, no more sorrow, but the eternal pleasure and eternal satisfaction of beholding him with new eyes and tasting and seeing that he is good. As we drink deeply of his life-giving water and bask in the brightness of his glory forever and ever. That's the promise of the gospel. I will be your God, and you will be my people with all that that entails forever and ever. So Jim and Kate, you teach little Adeline that God promises in the gospel nothing less than this eternal satisfaction in him, in the glory of the new creation forever. And Adeline, may God give you the grace to believe that. And every one of us, that God sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Made to be like Christ's glorious body, lifted from the grave as death is swallowed up forever. And we are received as the beautiful and beloved bride of Christ. So he will wipe away our tears and we will dwell with him in glory forever and ever where he will be our God, and we will be his people. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise of the gospel that is nothing less than this perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined. Blessedness in which to praise you eternally. I pray that Adeline would know this perfect blessedness, that you would give her parents grace to hold out before her this promise of the gospel that you will be with us and will be our God and we your people forever and ever. That you would give each one of us the grace to believe that. We pray that this blessed hope of resurrected, glorified bodies would sustain us in the midst of physical pain, 
and bodies that sometimes feel like they're falling apart. We pray that the promise of a perfect bridegroom would comfort us in the midst of the disappointments of romance. That the promise of a heavenly home would make those who do not feel at home, who do not feel like they have a place where they belong or are estranged from their families, make them know that a wonderful inheritance and an eternal heavenly home awaits them. Father, in the midst of the trials of this life, would you make your people to know that one day every tear will be wiped away. All of our unsatisfaction and thirst from this life will be quenched. And that we now sow in tears, we'll then reap with shouts of joy. As we look forward to this, uh, please make us also to know that our greatest treasures lie not in this life, but in the life to come. Pray for each of us and each of our children that you would give us grace to long with great eagerness for that beatific vision where we will behold you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name.